Welcome to the Stonebridge Community Church online worship service. Today you'll hear the Word of God read, the message from this weekend's in-person service, and two songs to guide you in worship. Thanks for joining us today. Yes. Yes, Scott. Yeah, I joined the club. He just said glasses. So if you're new here, I'm Pastor John, one of the pastors here at Stonebridge. If you're not new here, you know I'm wearing glasses for the first time. This weekend, I decided to age. So here we are, downhill to 40, and they handed me the glasses so I could be ready for it. Yeah, so we'll see if I get through the service with them, though. So I might throw them at you or something if I get frustrated. It is an adjustment, though. Yeah, I, I have to say, too, I, I, I had friends who had glasses growing up, and I always made fun of them, so of course this was going to happen to me. I deserve it. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. Anyways, let's focus on the Bible, okay, shall we? So, we're beginning our sermon series called Summer in the Cities, where we're looking at, really, the second half of the book of Acts. And the book of Acts tells a story about the spread of the church in the early church, and the passage that we're looking at today is where the Apostle Paul becomes central. Paul, who's also known as Saul, and when I'm reading the passage, Jesus refers to him as Saul, but Saul and Paul are the same person, just two names for the same person. He will take over the story of Acts from this point on, and he's a character that we will be looking at, a figure in history that we'll be looking at throughout this sermon series seeing how the Holy Spirit worked through him. So I'll be reading from Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. And as I read them, I invite you to hear the word of God. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and join me in prayer. Lord, through your scriptures, may we be confronted by you in the same way that Paul was on that road to Damascus all those years ago. Open up this word for us that we might find ourselves in this story. Open up this scripture to us that we might go through our lives seeing the ways in which you direct us, the ways in which you change us and form us, seeing the ways in which you are inviting us to come alongside the work you are doing in this world, to redeem it, to restore it. Open up our eyes so that we might see the opportunities that you give us to help others to have hope in all that you are doing and to have hope in your resurrection and your ability to overcome death. Lord, 
Confront us like you confronted Paul. Speak to us now, for we are listening. We ask this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we begin this sermon series with the city of Damascus. And Damascus is a city that exists in the world today still. It's the capital of the nation of Syria. And one of the most interesting aspects of Damascus is that out of all of the capitals in the world, every city that rules over the region or nation that it's in, Damascus is the longest standing capital city in the world. It has a long and storied history. At its heyday, it was the most powerful city in the world. It was the center of the most powerful empire in the world, and it controlled that empire. But by the time we get to the events here in the book of Acts, Damascus isn't the most powerful city any longer. It had spent a few hundred years being passed back and forth between different empires. And then around 64 BC, the Roman general Pompey came into Damascus and took it for the Roman Empire. And from that point on, it became one of the many cities in the Roman Empire. The Romans actually came in, changed all the architecture, redesigned the whole city, and made it what's called one of the Decapolis. Decapolis means 10 cities in Greece. It was a group of cities, and Damascus becomes one of those. But in this passage in the book of Acts, we're not actually too much focused on the history of the city of Damascus. That's not what brings the narrative to the city. And we actually, at this moment, don't even enter the city. This is all on the road to Damascus. And what brings us to Damascus, along with Paul here, is that there are followers of the way. That's what Christians were referred to early. Followers of the way. And Paul is going into the city to persecute them. He's going into the city breathing murder, the scripture says. But then he has a road to Damascus moment. You may have heard that phrase, road to Damascus moment. It's used commonly in culture. It's used to describe somebody who has an about face, an abrupt change of mind. And this road to Damascus moment that Paul has, it oftentimes gets referred to as Paul's conversion. If you look in your study Bibles, it'll say the conversion of Paul or the conversion of Saul. But I think we have to dig just a little bit deeper. Because if by conversion we mean that the road to Damascus moment is somebody who has one religion and then embraces a new religion, that's not exactly how Paul would have described this or how Paul did describe this moment for him. There's something a little deeper than just that going on here. And Paul is one of the most fascinating characters in all of the Bible. He is central to the New Testament. He wrote the majority of the New Testament. Those letters, after you get past the book of Acts, for about, you know, 13 more books in the New Testament, that's all Paul. Those are his letters. And he was really, I think, in history, the greatest Christian we've seen. Now, some of you may be like, well, what about Jesus? Remember, Jesus is not a Christian. Christian means little Christ. Jesus is just the Christ. 
Out of all the people who wanted to follow Jesus, out of all the people who wanted to let others know about what God was doing in Jesus, I think Paul was the one who had the greatest impact in the history of the church. He was incredibly zealous in how he spread the gospel. We're going to be looking at this over the next few weeks, but Paul traveled from city to city, and he didn't have an airplane, he didn't have a car, he was in the Roman Empire walking most of the time traveling a ridiculous amount so that people could experience the love of God in Jesus. He experienced persecution. He was stoned by cities. They take him out back and throw stones at him, thinking he was dead. They would leave him there. He was thrown into prison. He watched as his friends lost their lives. He eventually, we know through history, lost his life. He was persecuted and gave up his life for the sake of the gospel. Paul is a fascinating character, and I think, as I said, he is the greatest of Christians in terms of spreading the church, letting that gospel spread to the world. But that's not how Paul began his life. He didn't begin his life spreading the gospel, and as we can tell from this story, he actually, at one point in his life, was opposed to the gospel. He was persecuting Christians. He was trying to stop the church. So what we know about Paul as he was growing up, when he was younger, he was what's called a, a Pharisee. He calls himself a Pharisee of Pharisees. A Pharisee, that was a sect in Judaism. They were incredibly diligent about the law of Moses. And as a Pharisee, Paul would have been trained from a very young age to read the scriptures, to interpret them. And he was zealous for the scriptures. But then we know that Paul, his devotion to the scriptures, it leads him to persecute the church. He's going around persecuting the church because he is so committed to the God of Israel. He's so committed to the God revealed in the law of Moses that he thinks Christians who are elevating Jesus up as God are blasphemous. He thinks that they are desecrating the God of Israel that he is devoted to, that he is focused on, that he is a supporter of, that he is a follower of. And the one trait that seems to carry throughout Paul's life is zeal. He is zealous. He actually describes himself as zealous. He was zealous in his pursuit of the law of Moses. He was zealous in his persecution of the church. And all of that flowed from his devotion to the God of Israel. And this is why I say, saying that Paul was part of one religion and then became a follower of another religion, that's not the way he would describe it himself. The way Paul describes it is, he is devoted to the God of Israel. He is devoted to the law of Moses. When he's entering into Damascus, he is zealous for God. And when he leaves Damascus, he would say he is still zealous for the God of Israel. He is still reflecting on the law of Moses. The God revealed in the Old Testament is still the God that Paul worships and follows. He has simply realized that that God is revealed through Jesus. And I think it's important that we understand that it's not just religion to a religion transformation that's happening here. I think it's important because if that's all we assume is going on on the road to Damascus, 
for any of us who already follow Jesus, this story is not very accessible to us. If you already follow Jesus, you can't follow Jesus again, really. You might recommit, but you've still made that choice. But when we understand, I think, what is actually going on here, what is really happening, what God is doing, and what happens with Paul, I think this story becomes more accessible to each and every one of us. So, do you have one of those friends who's talented at everything? You know, like they're good at music, they're good at sports, they're good in school, they're successful in business, or whatever they do. They, they can just, they're good at everything and they're the worst type of people. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, sure, we all have some friend like that. I have one. I have one, and it's so annoying. His name's Joel, and he, we've been friends for 20 years now. He is a very talented musician, a, a very good singer. He's also good at basketball, maybe, maybe in some ways better than I was, maybe, maybe. But he's good at basketball, and he was good at school, and he's well-adjusted, and a couple years ago, he took up gardening, and now he's like a specialist and expert in gardening and thinking maybe that's another career for him. It's so annoying. I was talking to his parents once, though, and I, I said, what was it like raising such a talented child? Like, was it interesting just seeing how they could pick up new things all the time and learn all these new things, and was it fun to see that curiosity? And his mom said it was a nightmare. I said, what do you mean? And she said, oh, he was so overly confident and he was so determined. And she said, there were times that he would be in a nursery and he would have a toy he wanted and another kid would be playing with it and he would run right up to him, push them out of the way and grab the toy. And that happened all the time. And I had to apologize to all these parents constantly. So of course I said, okay, tell me more. <laughs> this is helping me right now. And she said, he would be so confident in his assertions, even when he was dead wrong. And they said there was one time that they were traveling, and they were in a different country, and the whole family was in a car together. And they saw this beautiful white dome. And somebody commented saying, look at that incredible architecture. Look at that white dome there. And Joel from the back seat just goes, it's not white and it's not a dome. He had no idea what he was talking about, but he would always say things confidently. And they said we had to constantly correct him and he would fight us on the most basic of things. And I said, okay, keep going, keep going. And this is a story I have shared before, so I have to repeat, I apologize for you all, but I think it's just so hilarious to me. There was a moment that he was a little bit older and he was at the zoo with his family. And they were looking at an exhibition of lemurs. And there was a woman next to them with her grandchildren. And she said to her grandchildren, look at those monkeys, aren't they cute? And Joel says, they're not monkeys, they're lemurs. The woman didn't hear him. So she says again, referring to the lemurs as monkeys. Joel gets louder going, they're lemurs. And this actually went on for a number of minutes, they said, and the parents are awkwardly trying to figure out how to do this. And Joel eventually starts almost yelling at this woman that they are lemurs and the parents had to pick them up and take them away. So I asked his parents, okay, now I need to know, how did you deal with that? And Joel's mom said, it, it was difficult. 
We, we had to have all sorts of parent-teacher conferences. We had to be apologizing to parents. It was hard, and I kept wondering, what's going to happen to him? And then his dad said, it was a little bit easier for me. Because I looked at him, and I thought, these traits that he has, they'll actually make him a very good adult someday. And I asked, what do you mean? And he said, well, paired with wisdom, being able to confidently state what you believe is actually difficult for a lot of people. So he already has that down. Being able to know what you want and to take steps to go get it paired with kindness is difficult. And for Joel's dad, he realized these traits that were causing all these problems in this other area, when they were redirected, when they were moved in a different direction, they would actually help him throughout the rest of his life. And when you paired it with some knowledge and some wisdom, it would make him a really good adult. At the time, I didn't have kids. But now looking back on that, that's a word of relief for us parents <laughs> with your kids and the ways that they can act and the things that they can say and just knowing that that doesn't necessarily define them and that those very traits might be what makes them well-adjusted later in life. But as a Christian, when I heard that story, as a follower of Jesus, the first thing I thought of was that has to be exactly what God was thinking with Paul on the road to Damascus. Think about it. The church is just getting going. It is fledgling. It is experiencing persecution. People are trying to wipe it out. So what does God need? What is Jesus looking for from somebody? Zeal. That zeal that Paul displayed when he was persecuting the church, when he was so devoted to the law of Moses, though he didn't understand it entirely, that zeal was exactly what God needed. This trait that was causing harm, that was causing pain, that was causing suffering, was exactly what God needed, paired with a knowledge of who Jesus was, paired with the knowledge of what God had done in Jesus. I feel as though God had to have been looking at Paul saying, he is going to make a great Christian someday. He is going to make a great missionary someday. That's the way that I think God was looking at Paul that day, the same way my friend Joel's dad was looking at him and his traits. And that's where I say, when we understand that, we realize that it's not just Paul taking one religion and replacing it with another one. It's a deepening of Paul's understanding, both of who God is, what God did in Jesus, and who Jesus was, and a deepening and understanding of himself and who God had made Paul to be. That, that same zeal that he had, that passionate pursuit of whatever it is he believed, that was what was going to make him uh, a servant to Jesus. That's what was going to help the church to grow. And I think that's exactly how God looks at each and every one of us, too. We all come in here with parts of our personalities, character traits, events in our past, things that we are ashamed of, things that we don't want anyone to know about, things that we might try to bury and push to the side. But that might be exactly what God wants to use. Directed, changed, 
redirected in a different way. That might be the very character trait God is looking to use in you to reach other people, to help others have hope, to help others understand who Jesus is. Part of following Jesus means we are invited into the work that God is doing. And you may think that you have to push parts of yourself aside, but Jesus accepts you as you are. And not only that, it might be the very things that you're ashamed of that Jesus is going to figure out a way to use in a way you would never expect. So that's when I say with a road to Damascus moment, it's more than just one religion for another. This is a moment that each and every one of us can have at different points in our lives. If you've been following Jesus forever, guess what? You don't have it all figured out. You can still have a road to Damascus moment where you realize something you thought wasn't actually accurate Jesus is deepening your understanding and redirecting you in a new way. If you're just following Jesus or you're not even following Jesus, then you can have a deeper understanding of the fact that God is alive, that God is real, that God is revealed in Jesus and that there is hope for more in this world than what we see. A road to Damascus moment is something that any one of us can have. So may Jesus confront us in the way Paul was confronted on that road. May we take those parts of ourselves, those traits that are causing trouble in one area and hand them over to God. And instead of trying to put up a front, instead of trying to hide what it is, instead of trying to hide who we are, place it at the feet of Jesus and say, use this also. Trusting that Jesus can and will do so. So may we all have a road to Damascus moment. Please pray with me. Lord, you knocked Paul on the ground that day. And may you do so with us as well. You didn't do it to harm Paul. You didn't do it to shame Paul. You didn't do it to even convict Paul in that moment. You did it to bring him into your work, Lord. We know that we all carry things, traits about ourselves that in so many settings may have caused problems for us, Lord. But we should never place limits on your ability to redeem something, Lord. So help us to believe that with ourselves as well. Help us to lay ourselves at your feet exactly as we are, trusting that you can and will use us, Lord entirely as we are, that we don't need to be fake with you, that we don't need to hide with you, that we can be who we are, whatever it is we're carrying with you, knowing that you might use that very thing, Lord. So help us to follow you wholeheartedly, deepen our understanding of you, knock us on the ground when we need it, Lord. And as we move to take our offering now, bless this offering so that we can be a community that is honest, that is authentic, Bless this offering so that we can use it so that other people can see you, can see your acceptance of them, can experience your grace, and not just experience your grace, but come alongside the work you are doing to let people know that this world has hope. Lord, use this offering towards that end. Use our church community towards that end, that others might have hope in you. We thank you. We praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Separated 
melody of every song we could ever sing Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We can live for you Jesus, the name above every other name Jesus, the only one who could ever say Your heart.
my life. Oh.